Hello, oh. everyone, and uh, welcome to another episode of What's Happening in Travel. I am here with my buddy, Tro, and I am Kerwin, and this is episode 71. Yes. Uh, and we're doing it on Saturday, March 6th, um, in a day when Houston is like amazing temperatures. Ideal uh, weather. Ideal weather. The only thing is that it starts, it starts out like some mornings at 42 degrees and it gets to 80 degrees by the, by the time the day goes. Uh, and then, you know, when the sun's setting, the temperature just changes to like 60 in like less than an hour. <laughs> it's, very, it's very bizarre. And these are rare days. Yes. And they're perfect days. They are so. actually. And the good thing is that I see that although a lot of the plants are brown, like all the ferns are brown. If you from the freeze, yeah. But if you look closer, um, they're budding. Yeah, they are. Yeah, they are budding. So that's really good. And I saw one bee yesterday. <laughs> and y'all from like, why is he excited about bee? Well, the bee pollinates uh, the thing, and it. What's that? All our agriculture relies right. on it. Exactly. So when we don't see the bee, it means that something is wrong. And it's wrong because we, the azaleas normally come out first. Yep. But they all, and they're all dead. Though. They're all dead. That's the thing. They started to come out and now they're dead. So it's like the bees are like, well, what do I do now? <laughs> um, all right. So, so Christian, before we begin, what, what airplane do you have in your background today? That without Prior consultation, we both have uh, 747s taking off, but I have the first flight of the 748 out of uh, uh, Boeing Field in uh, Everett. Very cool. So, uh, okay, so you said Boeing Field in Everett. Actually, that's not true. You mean Payne Field in Everett? Yes. Okay, all right. Just, just making sure because you know someone's gonna go a boy through the zone and effort. I'm like, yes, we know. <laughs> so thank you. Well, apparently I did not know, but that's all right. Uh, no, no, but okay. I did. I know what you mean. So. Yeah, it's okay. Because uh, um, I guess just everyone there, there's Boeing Field, which is actually um, in Seattle, uh, very close to SeaTac Airport, and that's really where they do a lot of delivery flights. It's also where the Museum of Flight is. Right. The 737 is. Um, well, so the 737 is actually in, in uh, Renton, mm. uh, which is where they make those. And when they fly out of Renton, they never fly back because that part of that runway is really short. Um, but they build them in Renton and then they'll take them to the other, uh, I guess, you know, whenever they. Boeing they Field. Yeah, they could take them to Boeing Field. They do their delivery preps and stuff like that mm. there. Mm. Uh, and then, so there's Renton, there's Boeing Field, and there's Paint Field. And uh, Painfield is in Everett. And we've been talking about how Boeing is leaving Everett slowly but surely. Um, so cool. And oh. I have, uh, and, and like Kusha is saying, it's very, we, 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 did, we, we don't consult on our photos. And um, it's weird that they're both in the same, same location. Uh, I, I couldn't find a, um, I, I'm using a Malaysia Airlines uh, 747-300 that I'd visited Kota Kinabalu, I think it might've been 2009 or something like that. And uh, That's my friend- pretty recent. Uh, I didn't realize you had been to uh, Borneo. 
Yes, I, I did. One of my friends I went to college with um, is from KK. Okay. And so um, he was going to go visit his parents. And it, it was actually around this time of the year because I remember that I had to leave earlier because all the flights would have been full for Chinese New Year's. Okay. Yeah. And so um, I, I cut my trip short uh, coming back just because of that. Um, but yeah, and so here the 747-300 is uh, taking off from Kota Kinabalu. And you're probably like, why would they send a 747 to KK? Because it was um, Chinese New Year. And so um, they just have all the white bodies uh, who are coming out. And yeah. KK is the affectionate name for Kota Kinabalu. I used to grow up, I, I grew up listening to Radio Australia for uh -huh. news and music. And I would love the way they would mispronounce or couldn't pronounce Kota Kinabalu. <laughs> so that, that's why I, I knew from a very early age where and what it was. I know, that's too funny. That's amazing. <laughs> um, yeah, it's um, so, so no, so that was actually good. And Kota Kinabalu is a really, really nice. It's very small. And, uh, and it was good because since my friend is from there, I had a, a, unique, a unique experience when I went. Three countries on one island. Yeah, it's so. interesting, isn't it? <laughs> but we're getting, no, uh, good. we're digressing. So, okay, so I need to go back. And so, the, okay, you said three countries on, on one island. Tell our viewers what you mean by that. Malaysia, Brunei, and Indonesia share the same island of Borneo. Which is, which is quite interesting, isn't it? <laughs> when you think so. about it. So can you, uh, can you imagine when they were div divvying it up? I know, really. Because Brunei has such an odd border with Malaysia and Indonesia. It's yeah. not a straight shot border. Right. I know, that's so. great. That part of the, the world is um, very... I need to go back to Indonesia because I only made it to... Um, I made it to Bali um, and I made it to Jakarta. But for Jakarta, I wanted to go into the city, but the traffic in Jakarta is horrendous. And I didn't have enough time. I had like four hours and the cab drivers are like, no, <laughs> you can't go to the city and come back in four hours. I was like, what? And so I didn't bother. <laughs> I think it's worse than Bangkok. Oh, yeah. is it really? Oh, in Jakarta. Yeah. Well, at least Bangkok has that train, right? Right. Yeah. Um, and, and the train actually goes from both airports that are in Bangkok. So that's good. Uh, all right. So so we'll jump in what we have. So, excuse me, when we compile these, we try to put them in different categories. And we had, um, we had some things that don't really fit in the airline or aircraft category. So we're gonna call this the other category. And so, and by the way, um, I was gonna do a shave, but I just, yeah. It You're going take, for the rugged look. I'm going for the rugged look. Uh, no, I just woke up late this morning. I had some errands to run and I just didn't get a chance to shave. So if you see me looking scruffy, that's why. Um, but next episode, although I shouldn't probably say that because this is probably going to be two episodes. <laughs> but soon I'll get shaved. Um, okay. So our first story we have is... Um, says universal hydrogen beefs up its personnel. What is universal hydrogen? What do they do? So again, that sounds like a topic that has nothing to do with aviation, it but it actually it has everything to do with aviation. Okay, let's hear it. And the reason I included this 
is because um, this is a company, uh, a one-year-old company based in Southern California in Los Angeles that is moving to build and market a hydrogen distribution and fuel logistic solution for the aviation sector. Hmm. So just to backtrack a little bit, um, um, hydrogen fuel is sort of a lot more exotic sounding and um, uh, difficult to achieve than electricity, electric EVs, electric vehicles. Okay. But um, this was an article that really got my attention because um, I think hydrogen is the better alternative to electricity because to generate all that electricity um, takes energy. But for hydrogen, um, it's, I mean, people could argue, but it's a lot different. Mm -hmm. So, um, and another reason why I brought this up is that Toyota, I know this sounds very improbable, has uh, released this updated version of their fuel cell hydrogen vehicle called the Mirai. And they've really made it look very, very traditional. And in fact, they're going to sell it in Europe from this year. Yeah, that's one of the reasons why I wanted to uh, bring this to attention, because I think what they're doing is really important. Um, So the first thing they've done is that they've operated a new uh, they've um, appointed a new uh, chief commercial officer. This is Universal Hydrogen. Mm -hmm. And he is uh, his name is Rod Williams. He was previously. the vice president of marketing and regional programs for Bombardier. And what they also have is a new um, strategic advisory board with a lot of very high profile names. For instance, one of them is Tom Enders, who was the uh, CEO of Airbus. Um, There was also John Leahy, who was the chief commercial operator operator, officer, sorry, of Airbus. Then there was someone called Carl Burleson, who was from uh, the F- the US FAA mm-hmm. uh, administrator, and then the chief um, scientist for the environment from the FAA called Lourdes Maurice. So it sounds like a very high-powered scientific advisory team for this company um, that intends to bring to market what they call an iron bird prototype of a fuel cell powertrain. So what an iron bird is, is is sort of um, a ground-based testing device where all the components, the different components of an aircraft are put together to see if they work together in unison, you know, as on an aircraft um, in flight. And they want to do this by the second quarter of 2021, which is essentially a year away. Mm. So they have an extremely ambitious uh, goal. And um, what they want to do is uh, they want to have this prototype available for regional and um, uh, electronic vertical takeoff landing uh, aircraft. Mostly a smaller sized aircraft, but it's still... tremendously ambitious goal and remember hydrogen storage is the main one of the main problems because it's a gas 
and um, it's not easy to store as a liquid form. That's one of the main hurdles that this company faces, but they appear to be ready for it. And what is even more interesting is that they have an, a goal to, uh, as they say, retrofit existing regional aircraft with a hydrogen electric powertrain compatible with its modular cap capsule technology. So essentially you just put, take something out and put something back in it. Yeah, that would be interesting. That's, that's why this story really captured my imagination. And yeah. uh, uh, I really hope it comes to fruition because I do strongly believe hydrogen is the better alternative than electricity, yeah. but... Yeah. So it's interesting, right? Because uh, you're talking about VTO, which is vertical takeoff and landing, and that is getting a lot of traction. And um, the reason why it is, is because they want to be able to transport people between these large cities to the airports, and you don't have any runways in these big cities. So vertical takeoff and landing is the way to go. And, That's why uh, United invested in that company. Exactly. <clears throat> Exactly. So, um, and so all those things you normally see at those, those, um, those animation of people uh, jumping, you know, going up to their rooftops or going to parking lots and jumping in these things and they take you up and over and down. That's, that's what this is going to be all about. So the competition now is to see if the hydrogen engines are going to win out against the electric engines. Yes. Right? That's, the, yeah, that's so, the big thing. That might be a combination of both. Yeah, but, um, I still say to make to have an electric engine, you need the batteries. Yes, that's and the just, thing. And the batteries typically use a lot of these, as they call them, rare earth elements that mostly come from China. So that causes a lot of geopolitical issues, um, depending on the egos of the leaders of the individual countries. Yes, involved. So. Um, I really think hydrogen, once they can get over, get past the storage dilemma, um, is the way yeah, to go. Yeah. But clearly, I'm in the minority on that because there <laughs> are, for instance, in the automobile industry, there's a lot more electric vehicles than hydrogen. Right, there so, are. So, and I think they will solve the battery problem. Um, I know that uh, uh, Hyundai is working on a. Uh, they all are on the electric helicopter that they, that they, that's going to actually work with Uber. And okay, yeah. Uber was trying to work with Sikorsky, but Sikorsky is taking too long and Sikorsky make helicopters. And so Sikorsky actually have a prototype in Dallas. Um, I think they have two prototypes. And uh, when I went to CES, I saw the first one. And last, mm, I guess, 2019, I saw the second, the second prototype. So there's a lot of stuff that's going on uh, in the back end and testing and stuff like that. So it'll be interesting to see, see you know what, what goes. But I guess electric is going to be first because we're doing that now. But we have hydrogen vehicles because some of the buses in in Houston, uh, yes. they're, they're hydrogen, right? Right. Yeah, so it's not and some of them are most of them are electric, but I believe a few are hydrogen. Correct. Yeah. Yeah. So, and I think so, Honda and Toyota are the two companies that have hydrogen. Um, yeah. Cars. So it's good. So it means that you know it's 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 not like a completely new technology. It's just that now people are concentrating more in it because there's more, I guess, pressure to yeah. do uh, alternate alternate energy. Yeah. 
and the exhaust from a hydrogen vehicle aircraft would be water. Ah, okay. What it does is react with oxygen to produce yeah. water. So then we'll, we'll, get, will we still have contrails? <laughs> yeah, we will. <laughs> so we people, will. people are still going to complain then because they don't understand how contrails work. Uh, but um, what do you want to explain here? But uh, what was the other thing I was going to say? So when you said Iron Bird, so being from Jamaica, um, we call the uh, airplanes Iron Birds. So yes. We, yeah. So when you said they're building an Iron Bird, immediately my mind was like, oh, you're Jamaica. Because people would say, oh, I'm, I'm taking an iron bird to foreign, uh, kind of is what they would say, which means that they're taking an airplane out of the country. <laughs> so it was funny when you said that. Um, all right, cool. Was it all you had for that one? So we have a lot of very unusual topics. Uh, yeah, you know, which is good because, you know, I mean, the, the industry is so vast, right? Yeah. Uh, all right. There's so many other businesses that have a direct input into the aviation industry behind the scenes that we really don't think about. And, and they get very little press. Yep. And when you go to shows like Palmer Air Show, which is um, held in uh, London and the Paris Air Show, which is held in Paris, which is actually canceled for this year. And so it'll be Farnborough next year. It's normally held in June. Um, you realize how huge the industry is and how all these intermoving parts. All right, so the next one we have um, is Honeywell. And uh, Honeywell, like you normally won't see Honeywell's name on the outside of the plane, but it's all over the inside of the plane. So um, Honeywell expands its onboard uh, UV treatment product line, which we had talked about this before, right? Yes, we did. Okay. So, so um, Honeywell, as you mentioned, produces a lot of avionics. Um, and a couple of weeks ago, we talked about how Honeywell was involved in breathing new life into um, UPS's Airbus 300 aircraft <laughs> because they used extensively in, yeah. uh, in um, flight decks and cockpits of aircraft. So uh, this was last year again, where we revealed that Honeywell had produced this prototype which was essentially a tall robot with uh, two wide arms um, that um, were actually UV lamps. And so what, they, what Honeywell is doing is using this very powerful UVC light um, to disinfect high touch surfaces because okay. bacteria and viruses, they disintegrate or their membranes are ruptured when uh, UV strong UV light hits them. So these companies, several companies actually, including Boeing, have developed these um, UV uh, radiation systems that uh, spray, that, that uh, essentially cover all high touch surfaces with UV light to disinfect them. And so what Honeymoon did was to have this rather tall and large, um, uh, system to disinfect, for instance, regular sized aircraft like the Airbus uh, 320, Boeing 737 uh, series, all the way to the 747 and the 777 and the 350. So what they've done now is bring out a pocket sized version of that. Well, not exactly pocket sized, but the battery is in a backpack that you can wear. Uh, it The whole system weighs about 15 pounds, which is about 6.8 kilograms 
and it's a handheld wand that you essentially just wave over um, smaller surfaces, like for instance, regional jets or private jets. And they want to use this in, um, for instance, cars, trains, and buses. For instance, for a rental car, apparently you can do that in um, uh, less than five minutes. The battery lasts for an hour and takes about two and a half hours to recharge. And they say for one use of this, uh, it costs about 10 US cents, which is very, very reasonable. Um, what else was I gonna say? Uh, you can cover um, about one square meter, which is about 11 square feet in 17 seconds. It's not 15, it's not 20, it's 17 seconds. Um, so you can do a business jet from its um, seating area to the labs, to the cockpit in under 15 minutes. Yeah, okay. And airlines that are using the larger system by Honeywell um, include uh, Qatar Airways, JetBlue, Azul, and a lot of other like Chinese carriers. Yeah. I just thought this was another interesting yeah. iteration of uh, technology. That's good because we just don't, you know, people don't, people don't think about what goes on in the back. They just get on the plane and they get off and they complain and they're, they're quote unquote happy. So this is good. This so, is good to see all, all the little behind the scene things that's going on. It's very reassuring to hear. Yeah. Yeah. It absolutely. Technology and innovation is alive and well. Yeah. Well, you know, it is, um, the, uh, during COVID, like, so when you say technology innovation, as an example, I go to a lot of conferences and um, we can't have conferences because we can't do face-to-face. -face. So the, but the technology for all these conference software mm -hmm. is incredible. And there's so many, um, I had, I used one call, and, and Wova is not a sponsor of this podcast, but um, well, I used one, uh, it's W-H-O-V-A and it's really good like it has so many features even one thing it does it does a live transcript the fun thing about the live transcript though is that <laughs> you um it's a, it, when it hears different accent it doesn't translate the words the same so it's but, but it's really really good and it is a whole bunch of other um software that's other but i just remember this one because i used yesterday and i bring this up to say that a lot of technology technological changes are going on uh just because of covid and it's going on very very quickly like the facial recognition the online no touch check-in and this and that is really remarkable yeah although when people talk about touchless um yeah, no. Because, for example, you go to Walgreens and they're like, oh, it's touchless. Oh, but can you type your Walgreens number in? I'm like, <laughs> you just defeated the whole purpose there. <laughs> so, uh, and even when I. Go ahead. Go ahead. Even when I checked in when I'd flown Delta and they had touchless, I still had to touch the screen to activate it. I'm like, oh, stupid. But I assume that they've fixed that now because this was back in July last year. I don't know if you saw this article about Qatar Airways. They have debuted this uh, touchless IFE, mm -hmm. which is the in-flight entertainment. So you get a QR code on your screen. 
um, on the aircraft. Okay. Point your phone's camera to it. Okay. And um, you have all the controls on your phone. Oh, okay. So you never have to touch um, anything on the aircraft to control your IFE. Now, some of this is going a little too far. <laughs> over technology. Yeah. Too much technology for something that's really not required. But that's very subjective. Yeah. It's, it's not bad that it makes sense. Only that. I have to plug in my phone into the into the into the USB port on the plane, so I had to touch it anyway. But I get it because just so you don't have to touch the screen and do all that. Which yeah. is not like bad. for instance, this week I had to uh, get a rental car, which uh -huh. was uh, a new 2021, and just changing the radio station is such a hassle, though. Like you have to press about three or four buttons to navigate. And I think that's a little too much. It, it just means you need a new car, Kisha. <laughs> <laughs> it was very nice. Uh, but I, I totally hear you, though. I mean, it's um, a lot of the stuff they do, you're like... Over-engineered. Yes. Yeah, like, can I just get back to what I had before? Yes. Yeah. And, and the whole the thing dials is, and buttons. Yeah, which, you know, which works. Um, it just doesn't look cool. It just doesn't, yeah, exactly, exactly. And something you're like, and, and the, the fun thing is they'll put things in the wrong place. And you're like, oh. ah, it's so ridiculous. Uh, okay, but I missed what you were saying. So say it again. Uh, about what? You had just said something and all I saw was your lips move. <laughs> Uh-oh. Oh, oh um, <clears throat> uh, buttons, they look old. Buttons and dials, they look old, but yeah. they're so functional and so much easier to use, at least in a car. <clears throat> yeah, uh, so it, it's weird, right? What they're doing is um, they're they're designing these cars not for older people, and we're not old; we're in our fifties. But um, they're designing it because the kids, when they yes. grow up, yeah. they they don't know what a dial is. Right? <laughs> they just or a rotary telephone. Exactly. All they've done is just press these screens the whole time. So the funny thing about this, as I, as we, um, as you said, and of course we're off on a tangent. I mean, why wouldn't we, right? Um, the when it, when they talk about so everybody's talking about screen time, right? Like how much screen time uh, you've had? Yeah. Like all these dumb programs checking your screen time, but everything they design. Oh, why don't you yeah. use your phone? You can use your phone to control it. So, and then people complain, oh my God, I've been on my computer all day. Well, yes, because you designed everything around the computer, everything has an app. So it's like, you can't have it both ways, right? <laughs> God help us if ever we lose internet connectivity. <clears throat> well, we did. That's what happened in Texas a few uh, weeks ago. And it was terrible. Will we learn from that? No, probably not. No, we won't. We won't. We just keep on going. I mean, and it was bad because the power to the to the towers were not there, and the, the power to the homes were not there. So we had to yep. use our phones, and then because we had to use our phones, everybody was using the signal from the tower. So um, when you drove around, <laughs> people were parked in parking lots. <laughs> Trying to get signals. We drove about at least two or three miles away from, from where we are and sat in a parking lot with a whole bunch of other people in the dark, 
trying to get, and all you could see was the security people were driving by and wondering, why are all these people here? But that's the only place you could get a signal. And so it's, it's really bizarre. And then people were actually staying warm in their cars and uh, outside, thank God, but most people was outside and not like some of the people who, who sadly did that inside the garages, but people were staying warm in their cars and parking lots and they were charging their, device, their devices <laughs> using the thing. So yeah, when we don't have power and stuff, everything goes awry. So no. no, we have not learned. Okay. So um, we almost always have to have a Boeing story. <laughs> and Boeing, we're not picking on you because as you can see, both airplanes we have are Boeing airplanes. So we're your biggest fan. But um, what's the story about <laughs> Boeing and McDonald's? Because Boeing bought McDonnell Douglas years ago. Yes. So what's going on now? So this was a very interesting article by this person called Richard Abulafia. Uh -huh. um, he's pretty well known in the aviation industry. And he's a consultant. Um, typically, when he's being uh, asked to speak, but he works okay. for an aviation consultancy called the Teal Group. Yeah. And he wrote this very, very perceptive article called Will Boeing Become the Next McDonnell Douglas? <laughs> so ask most people these days about McDonnell Douglas and they'll give you like this blank stare, like what or who is that? Yeah. So um, McDonnell Douglas came about when Douglas Aircraft merged with McDonnell, who which mainly produced military planes in 1967. Uh, when the two merged, McDonnell really didn't want to invest a lot of money in commercial aircraft. And the only real viable product they had was the MD-90 series, which was really an extension and a modification of the DC-9 from Douglas. Right. Um, and because of their real failure to invest in future um, concepts, the name McDonnell Douglas died because really they had no market share anymore after the McDonnell Douglas, the MD-11, the DC-10 from Douglas, and from actually McDonnell Douglas, and so on and so forth. Yeah. And so what Mr. Abulafia did was point out the analogies between McDonnell Douglas and Boeing today. So uh -huh. he really, I think, hit the nail on the head when he pointed out these five issues where Boeing was following the McDonnell Douglas playbook. The first one um, was Boeing's significant engineering cuts um, in the near recent future. For instance, the R&D uh, from Boeing has been cut by 25% 5 percent um, between um, 2021 and 2020. And between 2020 and 2019, it was even more than that. Hmm. And this is exactly what McDonnell Douglas did for commercial aviation. Yeah. Um, they had program execution problems, which has been, again, repeated over and over by Boeing. First of all, and the most glaring example of that was the bungling of the 737 MAX aircraft. Then they had issues with the 787 in first the batteries and now the 
assembly of the aircraft. Um, the third one uh, was the clear prioritization of shareholder concerns over engineering excellence. Mm. That is clear. No, no, pro no uh, arguing with that. Uh, they, they've got an, um, a very uncertain product development roadmap because Boeing has had um, no new product since 2004 when they designed the clean sheet 787. Mm, okay. Now, Airbus really is not in that much of a better situation because um, they had the 350 in 2004, but it was poo-pooed. And so they had to go back to the drawing boards and come up with a brand new design, the 350XWB that came right. out in 2006. So um, that's an issue. And also Boeing has uh, a deteriorating market share uh, problem. Now the product range that the two companies have, Airbus and Boeing are very, very similar. There's almost no gaps except for this mid-market sector, right. which is the 200-seat um, aircraft category, where the Airbus 321, the Neo version, is outselling Boeing's equivalent, which is the 737 MAX 8, MAX 9, MAX 10. Airbus is outselling that Boeing offering by more than a factor of five to one. But there's a reason for that. <laughs> Well, yes, but the fact is that Airbus has a huge lead in that um, market yeah. segment. Now, Boeing has recently made some moves to address that, first of all, with the NMA, the new mid-range aircraft that was supposed to be coming in two versions, a double, a twin aisle and a single aisle. Right. Um, that was shelved because it was, I think, too broad and not uh, focused enough. Um, so now they've gone back to the drawing board with a brand new um, NMA version two. And what Abulafia says is that he hopes it will be a clean sheet design because there are some indications that Boeing might try to shorten the 787 or re-engine a 767, which would be a huge mistake because uh, there's yeah. a huge difference in technology and efficiency um, between the 767 generation and the current, the 35787. Yeah, yep. So the one thing that is in Boeing's favor is that um, Airbus is also sort of in a little bit of a pickle with this 350 development and the 380 right down. So if Airbus is okay with a 60 to 65% market share versus Boeing, they think Boeing will survive just fine, even though the roles have been reversed because Boeing was the market leader. Right. But if Airbus decides to develop a competitor for the 787, which is Boeing's real bread and butter right now, then Boeing is in trouble. But it all depends on whether Boeing goes ahead and develops this um, new 757-767 replacement right. in the next couple of years. Because they've been dithering about it for years now. 
But it was just a very, very interesting um, article to read. And I hope Boeing management did, was aware of this. Yeah, I'm pretty, I'm pretty sure they, so, they are. I mean, it's not that the guy did, it, did his homework, which is good. Yeah. Um, but I mean, I think Boeing is good because here's the thing, right? There's no, there's no other company like if there was to be a takeover who would take over boeing you are correct and and also there's also boeing like airbus there's boeing military mm-hmm. um which i guess always makes money for them because apparently we're always going in we we, we can't get along with each other <laughs> worldwide so we always need stuff so um i don't think it's as dire as he as he puts it and but the signs are there though well this is sort of the canary in the coal mine as they say yeah the similarities are there yeah Yeah. you know and i I, i'm always a big proponent for like you know boeing pulling out of one place going to the next just because they could save a few millions or whatever so people go oh things are looking good let me buy more stock and meanwhile you've devastated a whole community because you moved your manufacturing out of there like, I think this 777X is such an amazing aircraft. Unfortunately, it's coming out at just the wrong time. Yeah, it's a great and, airplane, but we have too many airplanes. <laughs> airplanes. Yeah. So. Um, I, and nobody's been going anywhere, at least yet. for the next year. Oh, <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, as, I, as I say that, because um, it, did the Olympics get canceled? No, not yet. Right. It's very iffy. Yeah. Because um, even Japan's in an impossible situation. Should they cancel it? Should they not cancel it? Yeah. Can they get because, can they get enough people vaccinated? Uh well they plan to. Okay. I think they start in later this month, Japan. Yeah, because that might be so, that might be what it takes. Remember you're getting all these athletes from all over the world. Yeah, well, you know, I mean, what they would do is it's, it's like how they do the baseball and the basketball and football and all that. Um, you create a yeah. bubble. And, you know, right. but then the fans, which is always the biggest part of uh, the Olympics, the fans is going to have to go into a bubble. Yep. And, and not many people are going to do that or be no. willing to do that. So. Right. And, and, yeah, no one has money to spend 14 days in Tokyo um plus yeah it's not cheap Uh, unless you live in a capsule hotel yeah but i'm sure i'm sure they're thinking of ways to do it because the other side of that is volunteers yep there's a lot of volunteers that um that come in there but um so so, but we digressed a little bit actually (laughs) it's it's not it's not too bad it's a great opener for the next topic are you done with the mcdonald douglas bowen deal yes okay um it's a good opener because we want to talk about digital health certificates, which all of a sudden is a thing. What's yes. going on with that? So um, this is a field that, again, I have an issue with because everyone and his brother is coming out with yet another digital health certificate. Money, money, money. Yes. Now the latest one to come out with something that very much looks like a digital health certificate is ATP Go, which is this um, repository for fair information for airlines around the world. They've been around forever. Yes, they have. And yes, they're 
an absolute market leader in fares, in airline fares. Mm -hmm. without now them, they want without nothing what happened. Nowhere, right? <clears throat> so they want to venture into this uh, digital health certificate area. Now, what that is, in case people haven't been paying attention to previous episodes, it's sort of like an, well, it is an app on your mobile device where you can store all your, um, let's say, vaccination and other travel detail information that you can present to airport authorities around the world to bypass um, uh, quarantine and other issues, right. security issues. Because now they're saying you can put your passport information on there, everything. So um, ATPCO now, uh, which stands for Airline Tariff Publishing uh, Company. Um, they're coming out with it. But meanwhile, a lot of other airlines are signing on to be um, trial um, carriers for, for instance, the International Chamber of Commerce, the AOK Digital Health Certificate. Um, very recently, Air Caraibs and French B. Um, including Air France, have agreed to use or trial this um, AOK program for travel between Paris and the French overseas territories, mm -hmm. um, which is, uh, you know, the Guadeloupe, the Martiniques, the Tahitis, and so Reunions and all of that. Yeah. Good. But meanwhile, other airlines like Malaysia and Air New Zealand are trialing the IATA travel pass. Now, all these claim to be interchangeable and um, compatible with each other. They should but be. But it's still, yeah, they have to be. But mm -hmm. I just don't see yeah. the marketing advantage to all these different companies um, putting out these different digital health certificates. Mm -hmm. I would imagine that the IATA travel pass. Now, I know you mentioned that it's all money, but it's I don't money. really get, I think it's more data driven well because yeah what is the money involved you don't have to pay to use it yeah but when you have the data it means that the airline would use you and what they'll, they'll just charge you by a transaction fee but, yeah but they jump up and down and say your data will not be sold and i'm what, assuming you have whatever. to be truthful whatever that the, well, the, the, <laughs> so. they're not selling your data but their um uh lawyers are really creative at these words so I'm not selling your data, but I'm transmitting your data between places and I'm charging you a transaction fee. You're mm -hmm. absolute. That's what these people are stating. Yeah. Very, very unequivocally. Oh, yeah. That's exactly what they're doing. It makes sense. I mean, if you think about what ATPCO is, right? ATPCO, ATPCO, ATPCO already has the, um, the engine that does that. Yes. Because every fare worldwide pretty much goes to ATPCO yep. um, or some sort of it or some, you know, so they already have all the access. They have already have all the, all the coding. Everything is there. All they have to do is just send another bit of data instead of saying, you know, it's, it's $35 to go um, here for the ticket you just bought. Oh, and I have a COVID vaccine. That's the other little bit, bit of data that's on there. So they already have everything in place. And I'm sure when they develop these systems, just like how you can go in and, and add new fears and all that, you will just be adding this same interface, same all that. Um, and now they've ATP have come up with better systems so you can actually update things 
as you go, normally it used to be what? Uh, once a day or something like that? <laughs> yeah. Or twice a day? Twice a uh, day. Yeah, now, which a lot of people have taken advantage of when you have fare errors. And so just to make you understand what ATP holds all the fares. So when you see all these um, errors, airlines go in, they create a fare, and then um, you can actually buy that fare on the other end. And the reason how you see that is a little company in the back end called ATPCO that drives that. So when you get a, a error fare, um, the reason why it takes so long to change the error fare is because I think you only allowed like two or three updates a day or something like that. But airlines- An error fare is? Oh, um, when you see these fares, oh, it's $5 to go from New York to Hong Kong. When, and everybody goes and buys it, and obviously it's not $5 to go from New York to Hong Kong. And then the airlines come back and say, we are avoiding all those tickets and everybody gets there, you know, in a wide. And you're like, but you didn't expect to pay $5 for New York to Hong Kong, did you? And so... Um, ATP Caused by fat fingers. Exactly. And so ATP drives all that, but it takes forever to change. So what the airlines have done, and we, we're going off topic, but that's okay. But what the airlines have done to fix that is they zero out the buckets. So uh, because it takes so long for the fares to change, they just go in and in their revenue management system, they go, well, there's no availability. So it is $5, but we don't have any seats to sell you. <laughs> um, took him a little while to figure that out. But, you know, so I think that's why I think ATPCO is actually poised to do this um, because they already but have everything in place. Don't you think IATA has to, is yes. to? Oh, absolutely, because they all they all transmit data, and so it's the it's the race to the end. But the good thing is that they're using existing formats, existing standards, and so yes. that's why the yes. data is transferred, and that's why the airlines. It's easy for the airlines to do it. For the but how many apps are we going to download on the phone? I mean, you go to any store, and they say, "Oh, download the app and do this." How many can we do this? Can we as many as your phones can hold? Because you know what, it's a matter of cost, right? So let's say ATP goes charging the airline uh, two cents for every transaction. But IATA is like, well, it's one cent. I'm not going to ATP yeah. because that's twice as much, right? And um, same thing when you go and search for a fare, every time you search, the airline actually pays a fee when you're hitting yep. or, or whatever the company is pays a fee in the back end. You don't realize that. Um, but that's a cost of doing business because if, they, if they're not in the system, they don't get any fear. It, it's really complex. So it's the same thing like this. Um, as a consumer, though, I'm more interested in the process. Like, yes, how happen? easy is it to upload yeah. my information? Yeah, what's going to happen from here? And do I just... And is it safe? Right, exactly. Do I have to scan my COVID card every time? <clears throat> I go through, and it's not just COVID, right? People think that COVID vaccines are the only thing that you take. There's all the malaria shots, the TB shots, you know, all, all the other shots that you take when you travel to these um, different places. So, uh, it, it, you know, we're talking about technology moving ahead. The industry needed this anyway, because we, I still have my yellow card, which I showed you all, right? It's paper. And so we needed something to house all this vaccination information so everybody will know. So the minute I check in with my airline and they swipe my passport or something, it should come up and say, okay, I see that you don't have your COVID shot or you don't have your malaria shot and you're trying to go to a place where malaria shot is required. 
go away <laughs> or, or something like that, right? Same thing with visas. We actually don't have a place to store all the visas because all the visas, are, they're in our passports, but they're on little pieces of paper which is tacked into a passport. So I'm assuming that they're thinking the same way of how can I store everything that's yep. required for my <clears throat> travel electronically? And how, yep. do I, how do I keep it safe? How do I download it in an app? And how do I tell yeah. you that I'm not transmitting your information or I'm not selling your information? <laughs> right. And what happens if you lose that electronic device? Correct. Never mind. We've done that before. We've Correct. Done I show up on my battery just died. Yep. Is that what I need to check it out? I, I, I still print my, my things because something you get to the airport and your stupid phone isn't working. Uh, yeah. You don't have any Wi-Fi to pull it up. Um, the young kids are like, what are you guys talking about? Paper? Who needs paper? Uh, all right, so good. So I'm glad we're getting um, a little a little way yeah. to digital health certificates. Um, so we'll keep an eye on those because, Kusha, maybe we should come up with one. Everybody else is. <laughs> yes. Really? Uh, and you know what, Kusha? I think ours would be, would be so customer-centric because we understand how, a, a, a lot about how the customer, from the customer standpoint. Behaves. Yeah, exactly. Not that these guys don't understand, but, you know, we, we have good knowledge. So... Uh, as a matter of fact, if, if all these people who are doing this stuff needs some help, we're available, you know, just send an email. I wish they would really give us um, some um, opportunity to trial these. Well, because we I really think we could help them a great deal. Oh, I agree with you. So here's what we're going to do. Send us an email to feedback at passwriter.com. And um, or what, what I'm going to do in addition to that is try to reach out to these companies and say, yeah, we noticed you guys are tested in these things. We have a podcast. We've talked about it on the show. Um, how can we help you? Because we would definitely give them some invaluable information. Absolutely. Uh, totally agree. All right. So that's a, that's our that's our best my takeaway to do. That's a challenge. Uh, it is a challenge. So. Uh, okay. Um, everybody wants to do something carbon free. Uh, so the buzzword in the industry is environmentally, whatever, everything is friendly. environmentally friendly. And we have at least, um, one story in this segment. Um, we're probably going to have to have another episode for the next things, but we have at least one story here. And, uh, so tell me about the carbon free transit light. Atlantic flight. I think this is great. Uh -huh. And again, a very, very interesting article. Um, so there is this um, UK company, which is a sustainability organization called Carbon Footprint. Oh, that was original. <laughs> <laughs> hey, it tells you the story right away. What they have organized is called a Freedom Flight Prize. So what they want to do is offer a prize of several million British pounds, which is also tens of millions of British pounds, which is tens of millions of US dollars, essentially. Yeah. A prize to a company or companies that um, 
they can complete a round trip transatlantic flight between London and New York on a hundred seat aircraft or larger within 24 hours. Hmm. So um, the reason I brought this up is because uh, this is something that is not expected to happen before 2029. Right. And in between, um, for instance, they're being sponsored by American Express, American Express business globe, global business travel to increase the prize money. And what I found fascinating here were the list of entrants that have so far um, agreed to participate. Everybody. Well, no, not yet. <laughs> First one is the Zero Avia, which is a UK US company that British Airways has partnered with for hydrogen fuel development. But the other two are what got my uh, uh, curiosity raised. There's this other company called Okulo okay. Aerospace and another one called E-Plane Company. Never and you will never that. believe where they're from. Uh, Ukraine. No, from okay. India. Oh, okay. <laughs> um, so the, the solution so far from these three companies are, are either hydrogen or um, electric. Um, the, the judges essentially will be from the University of Southampton. There's a Cranfield University and Farnborough Airport. Mm -hmm. So um, as I said, they expect a winner to be announced by 2029. I think this is a great idea because a hundred seat aircraft is really not a small plane. It's like an E-195 yeah. sized aircraft. Did they say you have to carry people? No, they did not. <laughs> they did just, not. just have a hundred seats in it. <laughs> so and you have to go back and forth in 24 hours because remember a hundred seat aircraft really can't do the crossing nonstop, right? Right, but if nobody's in it, no. <laughs> uh, so they're just a proving a proving concept, right? And then they'll uh, they'll come back and add people later. Um, and but, they could they could also do a drone. I mean, if, does it have to be a person? Does it have to be piloted with people? Hundred seat commercial aircraft. Well, you know. So, uh, I'm don't... very curious to see what happens here. Well, if you don't have to carry any people, then... But you have to carry at least two, right? At least, at the very least, two people, two pilots. Is that a requirement? No, not a requirement. Not to my knowledge, but could be. I could make it remote controlled. We can do that. Hey, we, we, send rockets to, we send rockets to space with no people. Yeah. So we can do, we can do a transatlantic flight with no people. Unlikely, but who knows? Oh, yeah. Eight years. Oh, that's interesting. Well, um, speaking of no people, <laughs> it ties right into the next story. Are you done with this one? Yes. I like I like that. I like that story. I mean, it's um, it, it's innovation, right? Because you know they will take pieces of this and then use it. Absolutely. So that's really cool. Yes. But um, as I, we're, we're talking about no people. Um, most airplanes have at least two pilots when you fly across the Atlantic and when you fly anywhere. When you have people in it, you have at least two people. Even the little um, single-seater, nine-seaters, uh, although the nine-seaters normally have 
just the one pilot in it. Like when you go to like um, the Caribbean, the little island, St. John's to St. Mm -hmm. or the um, Nantucket and things like that. They normally just have one pilot, but anything bigger than nine seat will have two. And now they want to only have one. The story I know is going to get your goat. Oh God. I, I, so but, one, one, I know somebody's losing their job, <laughs> you know? <laughs> so what have you got, Kashyap? This is a partnership between Sikorsky and FedEx of all companies. So um, Sikorsky has very quietly been developing the technology to allow single pilot operations on large commercial aircraft. Now, you mentioned this earlier, Sikorsky is a huge name in helicopters. Correct. So this is the first that I heard of, of Sikorsky partnering, partnering with airlines and fixed wing aircraft. So what they're doing is that they're using a, a newly delivered ATR-42-300 series aircraft that was delivered to FedEx. Okay. And they are, this is the largest platform that uh, is being used for tests so far. They're doing this at an airport in Connecticut in the US. It's called um, Waterbury Oxford Airport. Okay. Which is not too far from um, Sikorsky headquarters in, Stat in Stratford, uh, Connecticut. And this is part of a broader effort by the aviation industry to develop autonomous systems for helicopters and fixed wing aircraft. Uh, okay. Um, now this has been, I'm sure you're aware, a lot of people are aware that this has been debated for years and years and years, but this is the first application of this technology to an aircraft of this size. Now this is a lot like these uh, driverless cars. I don't think that is ever going to materialize. And if it does, it's going to lead to a huge, huge number of crashes. We already have I, driverless cars, Kershaw, just so you know. What's this? <laughs> we already have driverless cars. <laughs> driverless, right? Driverless, right? Not entirely. And look what's happened. Yeah. How many crashes have we heard about these Tesla cars? Because we know you're always gonna, you know, unfortunately, um, that's how technology- stupid people. Yeah, and that's how technology works. But but continue, continue. <laughs> so um, I'm not sure how anyone would be comfortable with one pilot on a long flight. And for an ATR-42, that could be several hours. So um, if the pilot, for whatever reason, becomes incapacitated, mm -hmm. do we really trust technology to get us back on the ground safely. As long as, it, as am long I being a cynic or am I a dinosaur? Well, you do realize that there is a lot of technology. Like these airplanes can land and take off by themselves, right? Quickly. Yep. And like so, the autopilot landing and take off. Yes. yes exactly. Yes. Um, <clears throat> and they actually have auto lands. Like I think the pilots are required to do auto lands. So it's it's not foreign, right? Um, are we ready for it yet? I don't think so. Um, I don't think it's not going to happen in the next few years. Yeah, because I think it's, it's like the max, right? As soon as you have the first accident, everyone's like, oh, 
I told you you shouldn't have done it, right? And everybody's like running around and blaming, pointing fingers at each other. Um, and it's aviation. So inevitably, that's that's going to happen. Because once that happened, yeah. we realized how much we knew, how much we didn't know, and how much we have to change to make, you know, to stop whatever happened from happening again. Um, I'm more concerned about just losing an, uh, another pilot losing their job. <laughs> um, I, I mean, I think we have the technology, but then if, how does the airplane know that the pilot is incapacitated? Right. You know, and- That's uh, exactly right. Yeah, and I'm sure they're thinking, they're thinking about that, right? And how do you- Well, they better be, right? Yeah, and how do you take, how does the airplane, because the airplane knows where you're going because you've already tuned in all the things, mm. right? Um, so there has to be a, quite a bit of redundancy in there. Yeah. Uh, I would say, but, but the, 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 the technology is all there. Didn't Airbus do something like that? They did an autonomous flight. They have done it, yes. Yes. But okay. I, um, in fact, they are researching it. I'm sure Boeing is doing it as well. Yes, but Airbus. But I don't know how realistic that is, honestly. But but this actually worked. Um, Airbus had done one, uh, and I will have to try to find the link for that. But Airbus did one. Um, they had the flight like it might have been last year, twenty twenty. I think with a three fifty. Yeah, with I a three fifty. They, they, yeah, they had a three fifty that died, and I think it was completely autonomous. Yeah, there were people in it, of course, to monitor it. Um, remember, that's one flight only. Right? Yeah. But then think of all that technology, all the data they collected, right? And now they can go figure out, and they're probably doing, you know how the news is, right? We hear about the first flight and then eh, it's not news anymore. So you know, yeah. I'm pretty sure they've done other, I mean, they have to have, uh, they've done other flights or they keep their flight tests going. So it's not new um, and ATR is in Europe. So they're probably partnering with, you know the same type of technology or something like that. Um, it's a division of Airbus, right? Because they do collaborate with Airbus. Yes, they are, right? So, yeah. Yep. Based um, in France. Yeah, I don't know if they're a division of Airbus, but um, we, we can like. Maybe not a division, but. Um, but they're connected somewhere. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So um, they're probably using the similar technology there. And of course, you know how these things work. They will fly two pilots with it and they'll test it until they yeah. go, okay, great. Uh, goodbye, Mr. First Officer. I, I think about it, right? Remember when we had, um, uh, what do you call these guys? No, the, the two striped guys? Flight uh, engineers. Flight engineers. On us, the early 747s and the DC-10, right. yep, required three people, right? Yes. On board. Exactly, the 707s and stuff like that. And I'm sure people, people are like, no way, you can't take this guy out of the cockpit. And they're gone. They built yep. a computer that took care of that. Took but care there's of that. a big difference between two people on board and one, I, I think. I agree with you. It's a very big difference because the, redund the human redundancy is what we need. Yep. Um, and so that's going to take a lot of convincing to the FAA people. So, so basically, the kids that are Just the technology is just incredible if they can even conceive of such a concept. Yeah, yeah. So the kids oh. that have been born today... They're the ones that's gonna be. It's gonna be. Pilot again? I know, right? It's like, uh, you, 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 you used to have whom? So, 
okay, so um, Sikorsky uh, is actually, because we, you know, we mentioned them in the story, they're actually doing this with the helicopter. Um, so the initial, yeah. the initial one will have one pilot. Actually, it have a seat for one pilot who won't be doing anything but just sitting there and monitoring and making people feel comfortable. And that's in the helicopter, right? And like today's helicopter, they have one pilot and they do fly people around. So having one pilot is not, is not, um, is not, is not a strange thing. You just don't have one pilot with 300 people behind you. <laughs> it's normally one pilot and less than nine people. I think that's what the, the probably the FAA rules are. Um, I, could, I could be incorrect, but that's usually what I see when I fly. Mm -hmm. um, and so it is not a foreign concept. We do that today. That is what Sikorsky is planning and doing with these electric, electric helicopters. And guess what? Um, they want to get rid of that one person. So the idea is, let's start with one because people are going to be scary. It's like um, the, the, the people who move at Disney, it, uh, or even that train that they have the DLR in London, nobody, nobody runs it. But look at the uh, underground system we have here at IAH Airport in Houston. Right. And that's from the 70s. It's completely automated. <clears throat> it's so old and it makes that boom, 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 boom sound, but it's just... It's absolutely wonderful, I think. Oh yeah, I mean, I, I, mean, I, I get on it just when I have nothing better to do. <laughs> And that is from the 70s and 80s. Uh, and it still works, uh, technology. Right? Yep, it still works. Um, now, of course, the train is different, right? Because it's just on a track and it, and it just yep. goes right around. But, um, but yeah, so we'll see what happens with this. Uh, I was trying. Right. Uh, yeah, I'm going to have, I'm, I'm going to, uh, hopefully I, I remember to include some links on this story about the, um, they, uh, so I, I guess I, ke I kept saying, I kept saying Sikorsky, but it's actually, well, Sikorsky does have one, but it's also Bell Helicopters. Okay. Yeah, Another so, huge name in helicopters. Yeah. So Bell, Bell the Helicopters. The test with FedEx is with Sikorsky. Is Sikorsky, yeah. Um, but Bell, Bell Helicopters is doing uh, something. Uh, let me back up a little bit. Uh, yes. And they have and they're the ones that have the one seat, the one seat thing. But Sikorsky is doing something very similar. Yeah. Uh, okay. Um, all right. We got two more stories. Um, so more technology stuff, right? Um, I guess. Dare I ask you how we're doing on time? Uh, I have zero idea. Okay. Uh, only, only because. Um, sure, all these years to keep track. Yeah, I, 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 so in Zoom, it has a little thing that you have to turn on, turn on to track the time. And I didn't look at the time when we started. I didn't okay. turn that little tracker thing on. So I'd have to do it whenever we do the next episode. So yeah. Okay. Um, so what are we talking about next? We're talking about onboard seats that talk to you. Yes. <laughs> so the, um, we rarely, rarely talk about seats. Right. And in this episode or in this session, we have three seat articles. Now, this, again, um, purely subjective assessment, but this is a case of technology going a little overboard. Mm -hmm. 
Um, not sure this is necessary, but again, that's arguable. But again, the, the fact that we're even talking about this is remarkable because this is a company called Fovia Tech. This is based in Hamburg in okay. Germany. <clears throat> and they are using AI, artificial intelligence, into seat design on an aircraft. Uh-huh. Um, they're calling it um, a pressure sensor smart seat, and it's called Fovgry. <laughs> Must mean something specific. And um, this actually builds on um, a longstanding um, deal with airlines and aircraft manufacturers uh, to enhance in-flight wellness. Like you have this mood lighting and air cleansing to in-seat health monitoring and all that sort of thing. Okay. And Fovia Tech is now going a little bit further with that. So normally we have um, foam in seat cushions. And what this company wants to do is to take out the foam and introduce what is called a graphene-based pressure sensor smart seat technology. So what graphene is, is a single carbon layer of uh, material that is very, very light, incredibly strong, with great electric and heat conductivity. Um, And it's really composed of what are called these carbon nanotubes. Okay. It's essentially a single layer of carbon uh, material. And what they're going to do is integrate sensors into those seats. So if a passenger, for instance, is sitting for too long in a particular technology, the AI embedded in these sensors is going to send you a message, be it on the IFE or on your phone or in a display on your armrest that you should change positions. Okay. Now, given that you're asleep and you typically sleep in one position for several hours, how is it going to do that? Because if it sort of jogs you away with a buzzing or something, that's going to tick me off, open me up. <laughs> it'll just stick you. Maybe it'll know that you're sleeping and leave you alone. <laughs> but then that would defeat the purpose, right? So, but again, um, very unlikely source of uh, the technology because the chips are going to be manufactured um, in South India. Mm, okay. Um, And they're also looking at expanding this technology for use in uh, German trains, the Deutsche Bahn trains. But um, again, I thought this was a pretty fascinating story that now even foam is not sacred enough on an aircraft seat. Even that is going to be um, converted to a data source. And believe it or not, there is data involved in this information. And again, this company has sworn up and down that they will not release uh, the name of the passenger or the weight of the passenger to any um, other company. Oh, which, which, which makes sense. But they don't even need that, right? All they need to know is that 
Somebody because they know the seat number, right? They know the flight number, they know this, they know that. So they I automatically know your name, your details, your passport information. But only or this, or that. Only if the airline passes that information to them. True. Yeah. yeah because but remember I, the airline is in charge of the seat, right? Yeah, but for because like for the computer to know, all the computer needs to know is that um, there is a person sitting in this particular seat. You don't need to yes. know any more data about me. But you know they will, right? Well, I mean, yeah, because you can weigh me because I'm sitting in the seat. Right. Um, but you don't need to know that, you know, I'm Kerwin and I'm sitting in seat 1A on, you know, Delta or something. Um, they, you, you don't- Or if I'm overweight or underweight or- Yeah, you don't need that. You probably, you could judge how tall I am because I am sitting in the seat. So you could measure that. Yeah. Um, yeah. So. Yeah, that's interesting how they're doing that. I keep thinking why though. Exactly. <laughs> so, um, I think they call it a nanny state. Yeah. It's like, okay, fine. I mean, <laughs> and then if you tell me to wake up when the seatbelt sign is on, are you gonna be? Are you gonna be like? Okay, let me wait for the seatbelt sign to come up, and then they go, "You should have been, you should have been walking five minutes ago." But the seatbelt sign was on, and I couldn't tell you. Now that the seatbelt sign is on, and will it wake up the guy next to me and say, "Hey, dude, <laughs> you need to wake up and let me out"? Because <laughs> sure, we are the practical guys. Because we're like, yeah, that makes all the sense, but. <laughs> Uh, it's, I mean, it's, it's a good idea. And I, I assume that they're going to just use it for other things. Um, yes. Yeah. Yeah. The fact that they're talking to Deutsche Bahn for the trains. Yeah. Which makes is It's like the sleep number bed. So I'll have my sleep number. Right. Actually. Business class. Yeah. <laughs> and I can, so. I can, I can see the airlines going, what, you want me to pay an extra $10 for this seat? I'm not doing it. <laughs> but you know, airlines like Qatar and Emirates will will do it, right? Oh boy! Um, all right. So, so you said we have three, but I only have one more about aircraft seat design. Goes even more high tech. Is that yes? Good? Okay. Actually, there's two parts to that. Okay, let's hear it. So the first one is um, from a company that is based in Texas, actually, north of Dallas. It's mm -hmm. called Star Aircraft. Okay. So what they are developing is yet another iteration of an advanced seat. So what they are using is a polymer called uh, EVA that stands for ethylene vinyl acetate. And what it is, is a series of, it's like a, a web of fibers with little nubs, for instance. Yeah. And uh, they have been working um, with the healthcare industry in prior versions to make, let's say, um, a wheelchair base more comfortable for the person using it. Okay. So what they're going to do with this aircraft seat is incorporate that technology um, with, they call them these nubs and webs. So if um, 
passenger on an aircraft seat, for instance, is um, um, sitting in a position um, and moves, the structure of the seat is going to change in sort of a massaging function. So it's going to have something to do with this in-flight wellness theme that we're currently talking about. So um, every time a passenger moves, it's going to, as they say, deliver comfort via increased blood flow and oxygenation of support tissue. <laughs> because the interior of the seat is going to move, as they say, in a sort of massaging manner. Ah, okay. So um, it's going to adjust itself to redistribute the load of the passenger on the seat structure. So um, these are what they call hydrophobic molecules. So in other words, they repel water uh -huh. and they repel any sort of organism. So um, it's going to be clean, for instance, with this uh, COVID in the COVID era. And um, what they're also going to do is um, adapt this technology for um, business class seats. Because a lot of the focus has currently been in the economy cabin because they're typically the more uncomfortable seat, if you will, compared to a business class seat. Mm -hmm. They're all going to use this um, uh, technology in both, in all cabins or all seats. Okay, and again, um, I thought this, now this could be something useful, I think. So, yeah, it, it, it definitely would be. Because I mean, a lot of these seats, um, they are uncomfortable. And, yeah. uh, you know, for the short flights, it's not too bad. And the seats are uncomfortable. And for people that are taller, they just don't really work very well. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, most people who fly or most people in the world are not tall. Most people actually fit yeah. in those seats. And the complaints you hear, people are going to get mad now, but the complaints you hear are from people who, um, it's like it's like people who are shorter complain that they don't have much leg room. And I'm like, it's fine. I'm 6'1". And I, the, the, the average is like five, was it five eight, five nine? I think is, is what, maybe five ten is what they designed these, these normal things. And most people fall in that range. Um, so, so yeah, it'll be interesting to see how they, how they do that. So would you feel like you're stuff on your butt and your back moving? Oh, you have that little, little buttons? Be ants or something on my seat. If I, I know, get that right? massaging feeling. I mean, but ideally you would sit down and then the seat would just be like, okay, let me adjust the butt because you're too heavy or uh, you have like an extra this or that or your back is different. Um, Don't emotionally scar me by telling me I'm heavy. Yeah, you get like a, you get like a little reading. I, <laughs> when, you, when you get your meal, Kishore, it'll be like- I'm Back away from the buffet. Exactly. exactly. <laughs> I'm sorry, yeah. sir. Um, we don't have, we, we do not recommend the chicken for you, but you can try some tofu. <laughs> <laughs> or no dessert. Uh, oh, dude, we, we should make like a little skit about that. Don't cars already have this sort of technology? Uh, Massaging seats? Yes, 
yes, they do. So some cars, right? Yeah, and the seat and the seats will do memory thing, so you can press a little button, then it goes to L to L one or L two yeah, or whatever yeah. it's called. So yeah, but those are that's positions though. Yeah, it, it's positions, but it also adjusts other things in the seats. So, it, it, so it, yeah, it reminds the, the expensive cars do that. So, <laughs> um, um, so anyway, that was that part of the story. Okay. Then there's this other company called JPA Design. Okay. Uh, that has headquarters in uh, London, in Singapore, and in Dubai. Hmm. And so what they are doing now is introducing something called AirTech, okay. which is the lightest business class seat. Because as I mentioned, a lot of the seat technology it's heavy. Uh, improvement has been for the back, for the mm -hmm. economy cabin. But this is a company that is now bo borrowing from Formula One technology oh, and nice. has been in use uh, for decades. So what they are designing is what they call um, a monocoque composite construction. And what monocoque is, uh, is a single shell. Okay. So the chassis of the seat actually forms part of the structure. Okay. And um, so consequently, there are fewer moving parts. So that makes the seat lighter. Right. So, um, as I said, this technology has been used in Formula One um, for a while. And it's the structure of the seat, the frame of the seat that actually gives uh, rigidity to design, to, to the design of the seat. So it's all one piece. But the best part of this that I thought was valid was that this seat has space under it to store a full-size onboard carry-on um, piece of luggage. And that you do wow. not find on um, and this a is JC. Seat. Yeah. Yes. So that I thought was um, uh, one selling point. And it aims to undercut the best current seat design by uh, about 9% in weight. Um, that's it? Yeah, but that's actually quite a lot. It is so, a lot, but it seems small. This is actually a company um, that is, um, gets a lot of its funding from the UK government. It's working with two companies actually called Williams Advanced Engineering and SWS certification. Okay. And um, um, so, yeah, they want to release a final model at um, an aircraft interiors expo that's currently scheduled for Hamburg on August 31st, 2021. But yeah. like, you talked about the 9% saving of weight. Mm -hmm. um, uh, economy seat on average, the best one, and Recaro is the leading design company for this, weighs about um, nine kilograms, which is about 20 pounds. That's is the that... best seat design. Really? For economy, yes. It seems like it would be heavier, right? Yeah, but I was gonna ask you this question. Can you guess the average seat, modern seat in business class? How much do you think that weighs in kilograms and or pounds? Uh, okay, those are really heavy guys. Um, and I know they yeah, actually- Yeah, because they have a lot of moving parts. Yeah. Um, 
I'd probably say about maybe about 500 pounds. No, that's a little too much. <laughs> Is that okay? It's that's about a, double. So it's about 100 kilos or okay. uh, about 220 pounds. <laughs> Um, okay, and this so, is typically on seats for the seven eight seven and the three fifty. So, so that's so, about that's about the weight of uh, well, it's one hundred and seventy pounds they use for a person. So it's actually not too bad. It's only fifty pounds more than the typical weight right. of a person. So what this company says that instead of one hundred kilograms, they can come in at ninety one kilograms. So okay. instead of two hundred and twenty pounds, it's two hundred pounds. So that's about a 20 pound saving or about a nine kilogram saving. Which but I given guess. that you have about 30 34. to 50 seats yeah. in a typical uh, business class, wide body aircraft, that's that amounts saving. to a significant weight saving. Yeah, it's a big fuel savings then. So exactly. Yeah. But the, I saw a picture of this seat and I'm not exactly sure how they're going to design the uh, the bed aspect of it, how it's going to convert to a bed. But the fact that it has the storage capacity under the seat for a full-size carry-on is what attracted me to this story. So you're just going to be, I mean, I guess if, if you're, if the carry-on, if, if this is the seat, uh -huh. hmm, because all the underneath stuff is all the mechanical stuff that sits underneath it, right? Right. So where I, are they going to move that? So I uh, guess we'll find out in August in Hamburg. Yeah, yeah. I've never been to that show. I've always wanted to go. Um, but I've never gone to that show yet. And I guess it'll be a, a COVID compliant show. <laughs> if it isn't online. Uh, yeah. Um, but again, this is such a remarkable story, I think. Yeah, that is, that is actually pretty cool. Especially done this earlier. I know. I was gonna say it took him this long to figure out, and you know what? You know, you know why it works is because those seats are withstand to are, withstand, are designed to withstand crashes. Exactly right. Yeah. Yep. Uh, but it crashes at two hundred miles an hour as opposed to six hundred miles an hour. So, uh, but still, I mean, because also the fire yes, resistant, exactly flame resistant, yeah. Because one of the big things about those seats is that they are super heavy. Yeah, and um, they're not cheap. They're not cheap. They have so many moving parts. Um, I wonder, because you've seen the new JetBlue Mint seats, right? Yes. Um, yeah. So that'd be interesting to see what they do with those. Sorry, this is just a squirrel, so I'm taking a squirrel picture. So, it, yes, we've hardly ever talked about seats in this time. We have three stories. Okay. Cool. Now that's really good. And I think that's the last one we had. Yes, in this category. So, um, all right, cool. So uh, that's that. Yeah, that, that's that was the last one. Um, all right, good deal. So thank you guys for listening. Uh, I don't know how long this episode is. Might have been an hour at least. Uh, oh, well, well beyond that. I think it's about an hour and a half, <laughs> but it was good. It was good topics. Yes, I thought so. Very different yeah. topics to speak. It is, and Kusho got really excited, and I got excited too. So I must admit, uh, these are these are some good topics. Very sketchy when you say it like that. What's that? Both of us getting excited. 
uh, <laughs> about the topic, Kishra. Come okay. on, there might be other people listening to this story. No, just kidding. <laughs> uh, it's because we're passionate about uh, about aviation, so that's good. But um, thank you guys for listening. Thank you guys for coming on this journey with us. Uh, remember, we are on Spotify. We are on um, Amazon Music. We're on iTunes. And again, the thing about iTunes is apparently if you're not on iTunes, nobody knows you exist. So uh, go to iTunes, search for us, What's Happening in Travel, and you can download the episode there and please share and please give us some kind of rating so we know how we're doing. Uh, and more yeah. importantly, feedback. Yes, feedback is always, 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 always good. So we know we know what's going on. And if you want to see something different, if you want to see us talk about a different topic, or if there's a topic that's bugging the crap out of you, or you have a question or something, send us an email at feedback at passrider.com. And, uh, and of course, um, if you need aviation consulting, we can do that too. Feedback at passrider.com uh, is, is what, <clears throat> what to send. So um, I think that's it. Uh, this is uh, Kerwin and my buddy. For sure. And we are signing up for episode, what was it, 71? 71. All right, sounds good. <laughs>